Captain's Log, Stardate 75724.9. We are en route to Lone Star Station after charting multiple anomalies. Starfleet Command has ordered the Vigilant to transport a delegation of Vulcans and Ferengi to the station as part of our first contact celebration. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to telling a good story. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain, Captain Chase McKinney, and joining me for this I don't know, this this regal day in the Star Trek fandom. My good friend, my number one, Lieutenant Commander Eric. How are you, bud? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Oh, just living the dream? You know, just uh, just living the dream, right? Life's good. I mean, why not? You got... Life... I feel like life is good for you, Chase. I mean... I, I mean, you got you got all the things that people want, right? You got a steady job. Right, that's not going away. Yeah, yeah. You've got a you've got a wife that loves you. That's true. You've got two beautiful kids. Oh, thank you. And you got a house, right? That's yeah. like everything you want. And a backyard. Got you got and you a backyard. With a backyard, right? <laughs> yeah, you got you got everything that you could want in life. Man, way to put things into perspective, man. Look at you. Glass half full. I, it's it's a it's a new cheery Eric. I don't know where he came from, My but God, do you need like an analgesic or something or a hypospray? I mean, are you okay? I don't I don't know. I just I felt good today for some. I'm happy reason. for you. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I'm happy for you, Chase. <laughs> well, I'm happy for you too, dude. I mean, like you got a <laughs> lovely lady, which I've yet to meet, but you've got a lovely lady that you talk about sometimes with me. I know you want to keep like personal life personal, but like you got a lady and uh, same thing with you, man. Like you've got, you've got a job, you know, you, you're working in like your, your math career, which not too many people really care about holding down a job anymore or even having a career. So that's got to count for something. And I'm not saying that in a, in a left-handed compliment way at all. Like, I, I mean that sincerely. So appreciate it. Yeah, man. Oh man. And here we are. Here we are, um, another day. Look at this. We got we have we have um, we have a way to you know do a little view screen action, have a conversation with each other from you know millions of miles away. Of course, as Scotty would put would put it, I've traveled millions of miles, thousands of miles away to be here. <laughs> oh Lord have mercy. Well, I know that we uh, we met not too long ago to talk um, talk Picard. Uh, but but how have things been uh, since we since we got to hang out and talk Trek last time? Uh, yeah, well, we went to Taste of New Orleans, which was a part of uh, Fiesta here in San Antonio. Uh, sure. That was fun. We uh, we I had gator on a stick. Ooh. Yeah, I, we had boiled crawfish. I had beignets for the first time. Ooh, look at you go, man. I know. Look at me all getting cultured, right? Yeah, man, for sure. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then today we did like a family thing and we went to uh, Pixar Putt. Pixar Putt? 
Pixar putt. It's like mini golf, but all the holes are Pixar themed. Hey, that's pretty cool. I've, dude, I haven't been putt putting in a long time, like mini golf in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun family thing, right? That's cool. Your kids like your kids like Pixar, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, what's what's the number one Pixar movie in your household? Pixar. Um, and why is it Toy Story? <laughs> <laughs> so this is okay. So this is rough because the one that my my kiddos want to watch the most is the one that we want to watch the least. Um, and that is Toy Story 3. Like, in our household, really? Toy Story 3 is not canon in our household at all. Well, you mean Toy Story 4? Sorry, yes. Because Toy Story 3 sorry. is pretty decent. Yeah, yes, Toy Story 4. Sorry, yeah, Toy Story 4 is not canon in our household. For reasons. Yeah, I, I understand that at the end. So, but yeah, like, we, we have, like, toys in the living room. Like, we have, like, this little, like, um like ferris wheel type of thing like you spin it and it makes like this like carnival noise and it was originally my daughter's and now my son um like he's like crawling around getting into everything and he he found you know his sister's toy and he's now claimed it as his own and he's like constantly like like tapping that thing and rotating the thing so like we have a constant stream of like carnival music like every like three milliseconds in this household and i'm like Great, I'm glad you're you're playing with it, but it just it brings up too many memories from like Toy Story Four, man. Like we need to, I don't know. Like I feel like I need to like make it disappear, like throw it like in a wormhole or something sometime. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, no, I I get that. Toy Story Four can be a little disappointing when you get to the end there, a little out of character for Woody. Yeah, yeah, just. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like Toy Story, man. Talk about right in the feels of my childhood. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, 1995, right there in the prime of our yep. formative years. Yep. So Nothing will top that. Well, well, the only thing that even comes close to me is Wally. Toy Story 3, that came out, I think, in 2010, didn't it? 2010, yeah. So I can remember. Um, it was with one of my other guy friends um, that I don't know if you would have known him or not. Anyways, um, we went and uh, me and one of my, my other guy friends, we went to, um, I think it was like the, the theater there in Grand Blank, the new one that had popped up or was newish at the time. And we went and saw it. And like, it's like me and him and like a few others. And like, we're like, you know, these like, 20-something-year-olds or whatever, right? And we're watching Toy Story 3, and they're, like, these little kids. And, like, I, I distinctly remember, dude, like, getting, like, the stink eye from, like, some little kids. I'm like, dude, I was, like, younger than you when the first one came out. Yeah. Like, this is my, yeah, this, I, this is my finale, not yours. Yeah, I remember going to see Wally. Like, a bunch of us, like, Wally came out in, 19, in 2008. So we would yeah. have been 21. A bunch of us, like, 20-somethings going to see Wally, right? Uh, ostensibly a kid's movie, right? right? Which I don't re I don't really think Wally is a kid's movie. Like, I think no. kids might enjoy it because of cute robots, but thematically, Wally is a very adult movie. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And one 
only wonders if uh, Wally somehow predicted the future with, you know, us just like sitting in recliners, watching TV, <laughs> eating food. Eating food from a cup. Yeah. I mean, that's if that doesn't describe like the pandemic life, I don't know what will. I'm just saying. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, Toy, yeah, Toy Story 4 is like the Pixar film, like on repeat. Or I mean, it hasn't been for a while, but um, just the animated film in general that we've thankfully been able to get somewhat of a respite from has been Encanto. Like everyone has been like obsessed with Encanto. I don't know if you've seen it or not. You've probably at least heard of it. I've heard of it. I have not seen it though. Like I remember, like when it, when it popped up on on the Disney Plus account, and then you know. Um, my, my my daughter just started watching it and I was like working or I was doing something and next thing I know like my wife and my daughter had seen this thing five times basically in one day and I'm like what is this I haven't even seen it y'all already know all the songs what's going on man like I am slacking here I mean you know recently I haven't seen a lot of them like I half watched Raya and the Last Dragon that's good but, like, the one that I feel like the last one that I, like, fully watched was probably Moana. Okay. Moana's good, too. Right. We were- Which, I mean, is, well, like, 2017, maybe? 2018? Uh, I... 2016 was Moana. Wow. Wow, yeah. And my wife and I, we saw that in theaters, man. Like, we saw that in theaters. So that was, like, before my daughter was even born. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Yeah, we were so we were just talking about this because uh, we took my daughter to uh, see a movie this weekend. Uh, we went and saw Sing Two. It's still in theaters, believe it or not. I, like we, didn't, I hadn't even seen like all of Sing One first, or at all, or whatever. So we watched that uh, the other day, and then I hadn't even seen a trailer of it. But we, like my wife just was like, "Yeah, we're gonna take Elena to see the movie." I'm like, "All right, fine, cool, whatever." So, like, we're, like, sitting in the parking lot outside the movie theater watching the trailer for Sing 2, and it wasn't that bad. Like, my my, my wife and daughter shared this, like, jumbo uh, bucket of popcorn, and next thing you know, like, they've polished off, like, an entire thing. Like, ma- mainly my daughter polished off an entire thing of popcorn, and I'm like, goodness. goodness. But, like, Sing 2 was the first movie that my, my daughter has seen in theaters apart from when she was like two, when Frozen 2 came out and we saw it in theaters. So it's it's been a minute. Oh, you know what? I, I We did watch Turning Red, right, like a couple weeks ago. Okay. So, yeah, so I've seen that one. Okay, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Did you see Turning Red? No. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, it was, it was pretty good, actually. I'm not going to lie. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm glad that you uh, you got some culture, dude. Mm-hmm. You and your, your little fiesta stuffs. So, anyway. Well, we are at a very, um, uh, I guess, important time in our fandom, right? Um, so, for everyone listening, happy First Contact Day. Happy First Contact Day. Uh, we have, you know, only 41 years to go before... 
you know, we make first contact with the Vulcans, you know, no big deal. It's fine. I mean, no big deal. I'll be there that day. Yeah, if like, I'm still around, I'll be there that day. 40, I'm, I'll be in Bozeman, Montana on April 5th, 2063, if I'm still alive. You'll be living there if all goes well. I mean, I don't know about that. It's in the middle of nowhere, Montana. Dude, things can change in four decades. I'm just saying. Okay, don't... Yeah, but we have to go through, like, a World War Three to get there. We're almost there. It's fine. We're about to check the box. It's fine. <laughs> Glass half full, dude. Glass half full. We got to meet the requirements. Come on now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, four decades um, and a year before uh, before we get to, you know, our first contact with the Vulcans and Zephyrm Cochran does his little, you know, warp flight with the Phoenix. So, um, I know that we've we've done this like the last, um, I think, two years that, that we've been, we've, do, we've done... Um, you know, first contact episodes. And like, I know we've talked about like, you know, what first contact the movie or even first contact day means to us. But why do you think this, this, uh, this day is just so meaningful in terms of like how it continues to like perpetuate itself within, you know, the Star Trek fandom or or however you want to answer that, I guess. Well, I'll say the big the big thing. Like a lot of science fiction is dystopia. Sure. Right where it's like, you know, the future's not going to turn out that well. But Star Trek is is different than that because it is such a utopia and in the Federation and and you know, Earth is an idyllic society. And I think, you know, having something to look forward to like that and saying it's okay to dream like it's okay to dream and it's okay to dream about this great future even though our world in its current place might be pretty grim especially at the moment right sure it's it's okay to dream and to like think about this great future where people strive for like the betterment of themselves and I think that's what just just so impactful about like Star Trek and First Contact Day is like it's this pivotal moment where everything changes and we we don't we don't we're not selfish anymore because we know that we are not alone and there are bigger and things we can dream and we can hope to to be better. Yeah. You know, we, we talk a lot about, um, like, on the recaps and stuff like that, especially, like, recently, like, with us being in, um, you know, the 21st century in Star Trek Picard, you know, like, how, like, that storyline is, like, just so close to home because, you know, we're too, we're, we're in it, basically, right? Um, I, can, I, I can remember, and I know you can remember what life was like before a multitude of major events that have happened in our lifetime, right? Like, I can kind of remember Columbine. I can remember, like, having conversations, um, like, different types of conversations when I was in, like, elementary school about, like, what elementary, middle school, whatever, like, what that kind of stuff meant. Um, But I think the major one that you and I both 100% remember, like, you know, flipping the, like, like just flipping the switch was was certainly 9-11 and I would say even um, 
for the current generation that's like come up from behind us, it's been, you know, certainly this COVID-19 type of thing where we, we, we say like, we can't wait for things to just get back to normal. Well, the fact of the matter is things aren't ever going to get back to normal, right? They're never going to go back to, yeah. there become, there becomes a new normal, right? We've, we have to integrate the experience, the whatever that we've gone through into our life now. And no matter how much we try and cling to what normal was prior to event A, B, or C, it's part of us now. And it's, it's just, it's, the, the struggle is real, man. Like, you're just not going to get back to it. And that's the thing about this, you know, like, for, for two years um, and some change, whatever, like with COVID, like, when are we going to get back to normal? Well... We're kind of living in our new normal now. Same thing like with everything that's happened before, uh, prior to that. With this, like you're getting to getting at, like it's very, our future is very utopian. It's very idyllic. It's something to look forward to. But also knowing that there's hell that we have to go through to get to it. Uh, I don't think it dampens it because, like you, like I think you were saying just a moment ago, like we have to go through World War Three um, in this, you know, fictional future, right? to be able to get to this utopian future that Gene Roddenberry dreamed up, you know, that was even demonstrated and, and shown to us in the first contact movie that came out in 96. So, um, like, what do we, I mean, what do we do with that? Right? Like, what do we do like with this information of like, we can never go back to what we had, but we can look forward to something we don't yet have. If that makes any sense. Well, I mean, I think human beings, are a very adaptable species, right? We have a great ability to adapt to to new circumstances and new surroundings. So that's why we are so accustomed to the phrase the new normal because we can get used to those things. Like, you know, in the post-Columbine world, we're used to, like, closed campuses on schools. Like, that's just the norm. You, like, the doors are locked, right? That's it. Um, you know, post 9-11, we're used to TSA screenings as much as we might all complain about it. Like, you're, you're used to it now, right? You, you do the whole screening. You take off your shoes. You take off your belt. You take your cell phone out of your, out of your pocket. You take your, your laptop out of your bag. Like, it's just you just do it, right? You know, maybe there's the dog sniffing. And we just we become we adapt to those to those types of things. Right? And I think you're, you'll even see that with COVID, right? With like mask wearing and 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 vaccines and and different things that have happened because of it. You know, will adapt to it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think all of it's bad as much as it is just straight up inconvenient, right? Like. Yeah, but I think we can get over inconvenience. Yeah. I mean, I just like having been one of those those folks that can remember like having like a family member or a friend or whatever wa- literally walk you to your gate at an airport yeah i, I remember that too yeah. yeah like no big deal you can't get you, i mean you can't get on like you know the the you can't board or anything but you can have someone go chill with you until you do board type of thing and like it just makes me wonder like what the younger folks like, I'm really sounding old now, but, like, what it's like to watch something like Home Alone 2, 
right? Like, where they're, like, running through the airport, like, no problem, right? Or even, yeah. um, um, uh, or like friends. Like, that's like, what I was about to say. That like episode friends. where, like, Ross is getting on the plane and Rachel's trying to run after him or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, or the, or she's waiting for him immediately after he gets off, right? That's right. That's right. You can't or or any one of those those romantic comedies in the 90s where the girl for some reason has got she's getting on a plane, right? And they're like, "Go chase after her." And he's literally like running through the airport and he runs up to her and stops her just before like she gets on the plane. I'm like, "Don't go. I love you." Right? You right, know all those right. Those things, right? Right. <laughs> oh mercy! Yeah, yeah. We we. Yeah, there's there's always like that that stupid cheesy thing that we see like in a in a show or a movie, and it's it's great, I think. Uh, but we're not really getting much of that anymore because, well, now it takes thirteen thousand hours to get through a security check because you can't <laughs> carry more than like what two ounces of like soap or something. Yeah, like you can't take your shaving cream or your or your toothpaste because it might be explosive or something. <laughs> so you gotta check it instead. You gotta put that in your check baggage instead of your carry on. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we're not. This is not the TSA Homeland Security uh, podcast. Contrary to popular belief, everyone, it is not. But um, but yeah, like this is something that we we look forward to. Um, you know, just as as Trekkies, as Trekkers, whatever you want to call yourself, um, every doggone year, um, because it's something that we get to look forward to um, for a future that, you know, it, it probably won't ever come. Like especially in the way that we we want it to, like it like it's depicted in like the TV show and stuff, because it's a work of fiction. But it's for for one day in particular, we just get to nerd out, have a good time, that all is well that things are going to get better and that this is the thing that sets everything else um, off, like, right? This is the, the impetus for everything else. And, um, and, and that's, just, that's just fantastic. So um, 1996, you know, we really did see um, what this historical flight looked like in the movie, the blockbuster movie, um, uh, Star Trek First Contact, which everyone and their grandmother that listens to this show knows that I'm obsessed with that particular movie. And um, we're not here to talk about that movie in particular. As you probably saw with the title of this, um, of this episode, we're kind of taking um, a little bit of a different direction in talking about First Contact uh, this year. Now, Eric, you know you know the story of First Contact, right? Like these these like money hungry fellas, you know, they they get on a ship, they do some time travel, and they end up at an Air Force base, and that is how First Contact happens, right? <laughs> that's exactly what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's precisely what happens. These like weird, money-loving people. One's maybe a mother. One's maybe a son. They get lost, and yeah, they just end up at a at a base, you know, in like Roswell, New Mexico, and you know, shenanigans ensue. Um, I mean, that's that's what I remember about First Contact. 
Yeah, I remember that too. I mean, I that's what we found out when I stormed Roswell like last year. <laughs> do tell, do tell. Or yeah, I was there, right? I found the last digit of pi. What? What is it? Yeah, is it? I know. Lots of great seven. Nice. Lots of great stuff, right? Out there in Roswell. Wow. I thought you were going to tell me the last digit of pi was I. <laughs> Good grief. Oh, man. Good grief. Yeah, so, yeah, today we're going we're gonna to talk about, like, some alternate takes on First Contact, okay? So, obviously, we know about Zephram Cochran and the Vulcans in Bozeman, Montana, April 5th, 2063. But... The, the Star Trek franchise has given us um, a few gems, if you will, um, where it's not outright called First Contact, but a case could be made for it being First Contact. And, um, and the, these two particular gems, and when I was talking to Eric about this, he's like, all right. At least that's kind of how I took it. Um, yeah. And uh, anyways, we're going to be talking, um, uh, kind of weaving through some of this stuff, so it's not going to be like a deep dive in terms of talking about the episodes, but um, we're going to be talking about an episode from Star Trek Enterprise, as well as an episode from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So from Enterprise, we have Carbon Creek, and of course from Deep Space Nine, we have Little Green Men. And um, if you have not seen either of these, feel free to watch it now and hit the pause button, or just keep on listening and you can watch afterwards. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, if you haven't watched these, though, highly recommend, right? Two thumbs up, right? from each of us on both of these episodes. They're such fun episodes, man. They are. They're such fun episodes. Um, I think not too long ago, um, I don't remember if it was like a a Paramount Plus sponsored event or what, but there was something like a, I think like a Best of Ferengi or a, maybe it was a First Contact Day thing. I don't remember, but they were playing, I remember that they specifically had Little Green Men playing. And I think they, no, it was just Little Green Men they were playing. So it was like maybe like a Best of Deep Space Nine or something. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so with Carbon Creek, we have like T'Pol, who is kind of telling um, how the Vulcans were on Earth way before 2063. And Archer and uh, Trip are like, shut the front door. What are you talking about, man? You just told us about, that's a Twilight Zone episode. Aliens roll into some small right. town, hustle a game, hustle a couple of games of pool, and leave with some TV dinners. That's right. It's an old Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy! So, um, Eric, where, where do you want to where do you want to kick this off at, man? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, let's talk about Carbon Creek. Um, I know it was like the more recent of the episodes, yes. but let's just you know let's talk about Carbon Creek. Sure. You know, so the premise is, like, they're sitting down for T'Pol's, like, one-year review or performance evaluation. They're like, I noticed you took leave and you went to some random town in Pennsylvania. Like, what's that about? It's like, oh, I went to visit the site of First Contact. Like, uh, you're a couple thousand kilometers off there. It's like, am I? Am I? Right. Am I? Right? Yeah, my, <laughs> like, my, my great grandma, my, my great Grammy was there in 1957. Yeah, my second, my second foremother. Yes. <laughs> like my mother's mother's mother. 
Like, are you a little off on your math there? That would make you... How old? Let's not talk about a lady's age. Yeah. And then it's like, would you like to... Would you like to t- me to tell you this story? <laughs> and she's telling him this story. And then, you know, at the end, she's like, she's like, you asked me to tell you a story. Well, yeah, it was a good one, but was any of it true? <laughs> like, you asked me to tell you a story. Like, darn, Captain, I think she pulled one over on us. <laughs> and then, of course, like later on, like we see her pulling out like a little little trinket, little little purse. Um, yeah, some some handy. Velcro on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like this is such a fun episode. Like right, like we have, of course, we have um, Jolene Blaylock who's playing like her uh, her great grandmother basically in this episode, and um, like two was it two three other Vulcans um, that are there? Yeah, there were there were two others. One of them died in yeah. the crash, so it was her and then two others. Right, and then. So it's just this, it's a matter of like blending in and trying to get components to um, essentially get a way out of there, right? To be able to um, get some help, to fix the ship, to do whatever they can to get the heck out of there so they don't contaminate things. And along the way, of course, there's like pool and simple geometry type of thing, which math for Eric. So there we go. Yeah, and they, they always wear their hats. Of course. Right? And it's like, then the one of them goes on like a date with a woman, and she's like, What are you hiding underneath that cap? Do you have a pointy head? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But, but through all this, man, like through all this, um, there's, there, there's this very quick, I, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty quick, um, warming up to to humanity right like very uh, like flip side to what we had seen in in enterprise up to that point where they were kind of like cold and distant for the most part but like um paul's grandmother great-grandmother like warming up to like the boy who's trying to like get to college and pay for college and like you know mom is struggling to to you know raise the money basically like using like a tip jar right to to collect cash and um, just just like love a lovely story, just a, an absolutely lovely story. And uh, watching, um, I think it was like I Love Lucy and eating TV dinners and stuff like that. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah, like the like. There's one scene where T'Pol's great grandmother's gonna meditate, and the little the boy comes in. It's like, oh yeah, I, I read I read a book on meditation about the Tibetan monks that can like stop breathing. It's like. Do you like to read books on meditation? I just go to the library and read stuff. It's like, wrote a book about astronomy. And she's like, I like astronomy too. And it's just a good, like, little, like, bonding scene. of Because she had been, like, the one that was like, we shouldn't make contact. We shouldn't really try to, like, get to know these people. Because, you know, what if they find out our secret? That's right. Right, and and you see her start to warm up to them. That's right. Yeah, and not only that, but you know, we this is I'm kind of like going off the reservation on this a little bit, but you know, in um, in Voyage Home, when all the crew split up, 
and they have to do different tasks to, you know, get back to the future. There you go. Um, Scotty, among others, is is having to, you know, get like plexiglass, get transparent aluminum, basically. So he, he creates, he, he shows this random dude, you know, the formula for it. And he's like, how, how do we know he didn't invent the thing, right? Like, we're, we're kind of like tainting, potentially tainting the timeline. But then in, in Carbon Creek, we see at the very end, spoilers, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Almost 20 years, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, that I think it's been 20 years. It has been 20 years. episode came out. There we go. Yeah, it's been 2002. Oh, God, 20 years. Maybe, yeah, oh. yeah. Probably like probably late 2002, but still. Ugh. Math. Ugh. All right. So, but we see her with, with, um, with something going to a patent office, and it's Velcro, like selling the patent for Velcro. So... I mean, forget, like, first contact or whatever. I mean, she just, like, potentially, like, stole a bunch of money from the person who actually invented Velcro. Like, what's up with that, man? I'm just saying. (laughs) She did, didn't she? I didn't even think about it like that. For real, dude. Like, I mean, I don't even know how long Velcro's been around, right? But, like, this is 1957, so surely, I mean, I guess Velcro wasn't around in 1957. Unless I guess not. Unless Tapal just didn't know, or you know, Tapal's great grandmother just didn't know. Whatever, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. It's fine. So, um, so yeah, this this was this was a really fun episode. Um, because like yeah, we have we have the three sitting around the captain's mess, um, just kind of chit chatting, talking about that sort of stuff, and seeing everything kind of play out and. Um, the great grandmother's name was a uh, Tamir, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, but you have you have Tamir, and then the one other guy who he's like the engineer or the warp the warp field engineer. The two of them, like, they don't really want anything to do with humans. They're like, this is like a savage race. They're like on the brink of of nuclear war. They're gonna destroy each other and destroy their planet. And then there's the one other guy, uh, Mistral, I believe yeah. is his name, uh, who's, like, fascinated with humans. He's, I don't know if he's, like, the anthropologist of the group or whatever, but he's, like, fascinated by humans, and he's really enjoying his time there and studying them. And when they're going to leave, they're, like, he's, like, it's a shame that you spent all this time on this planet and you, like didn't even get to know these people like didn't even you know you didn't learn anything about them you didn't appreciate anything that they actually had to offer yeah and they're like he's like and they're like what did these people have to offer they're like primitive and he goes they have great empathy these people and she's like hold hold the front door (laughs) empathy Right. Empathy? Empathy is an emotion. Mm. And, and, he's, and, he's, and he's like, well, look at how inviting this town and these people have been to these three strangers. That is something to put in the plus column. 
And then always the pessimists are like, they only accept us because they don't know who we are. What if they found out the truth? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I just this this one guy, he's like, this is this is a, a species that has great potential here. Like and and he decides, you know, spoiler alert again, right? He decides he wants to stay and he wants to study humans, right? He wants to leave this little small town and go out to bigger cities and study humans more. Right. Right. I was trying. I was looking at the the cast list just now, um, and I lost it. Um. So yeah, we have J. Paul, uh, Bomer, Bamer, Boomer, Bomer. It's probably like Bamer because it's German. It's okay. German. As a uh, Mistral. Then we yeah, have... he was he was on the Voyager episode, the Killing Game. Okay. Where he um, he played one of the uh, the <clears throat> the Germans, like the German holograms in the in the World War Two simulation. Okay. Okay. He was, and then I also believe he was also on a later Enterprise episode, the Stormfront episode. He was one of the the aliens in the Stormfront episode. Interesting, interesting. Oh yeah, um, he also played one in the episode Drone. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Vornar in okay. Tacking. Into the Wind in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I don't know who Fornar is. So He's a Cardassian, that's character. all I know. Oh, it's a Cardassian. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I recognize him from the killing game. He was one of those like well the German holograms. We're German. We're we're pure. Yeah, he man, he plays like quite a few Nazis in Star Trek. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, killing game. One and two, he was in Zero Hour and Stormfront. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow. Man, that's not something I'd want to advertise. I'm just saying, man. Well, I mean, he's probably got that that German look, right? Yeah. Tall, blue-eyed, and blonde. Yeah. And then, um, of course, we have um, uh, Michael um, Krawick, Kravick probably, um, who played a Strawn. And, um, he was, so he was in, um, let's see, Deep Space Nine, uh, the Maquis Part 1, and, uh, Day of Honor, he played, um, Raman, Raymond in Voyager, who was like a, a random alien. So, there we go. But um, I mean, I guess apart from from this particular episode, um, and it kind of like throwing people for a loop, you know, like throwing Archer and and Tucker for a loop with like, uh, I think you know your first contact information is kind of wrong, you know, it's kind of wrong. Um, the the other bit that was kind of just completely ignored was, of course, the other episode, Little Green Men, uh, where like the Ferengi basically stand in for the Roswell aliens. Yeah, hold on before but yeah, but before we leave there there's there's two there's two things about Carbon Creek that we should also mention. Sure. Um I, I just do like before we leave, um like Tucker Tucker trip is like, man, 
this story you told. This is like finding out Neil Armstrong wasn't the first person to walk on the moon. It's like, maybe he wasn't. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then and then also to Paul is like this incident is well documented in the Vulcan science high command you of know, course like, it is I mean it's open it's open knowledge on Vulcan oh man it's kind of it's kind of like that um that hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where like Earth being blown up to pave the highway is like something that's well known, like sure. in whatever thing I, you know, but like the people on Earth don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that are well known on Vulcan that aren't well known on Earth. I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying, it's fine. But uh, but yeah, like Ferengi standing in for uh, for the freaking Roswell aliens, and look, it seems like every single live action or animated film out there, almost everyone, has taken a stab at what the Roswell aliens look like, what they are, what they sound like, stuff like that. Um, I mean, even even in one of our uh, one of the shows that you and I both love, Stargate SG One. I mean, we have like even the Asgard, which are yeah, the Asgard are the Roswell aliens. Yep. Yep. Um, and um, even in um, the the Disney animated film Lilo and Stitch, right? Oh, really? Yeah. There's like okay. towards the end, um, you have uh, a guy who's basically a, one of the Men in Black. Right, and he's like, um, "Yeah, I remember you back in uh, back in Roswell, type of thing." And uh, I was I was much younger then, or whatever. So, or something like that. I can't remember the exact like details of it, but basically, yeah, like the like some of the aliens involved in Lilo and Stitch are are supposed to be like stand-ins for the frequent Roswell aliens. Yeah, and like there's that mini series probably 20 years ago now too, uh, Taken. Okay, yeah. It was like produced by Steven Spielberg, where you know it it starts off with basically Roswell. Um, there's a great show in the late 90s. Like I don't know if you if you know about the show or not. It's called Seven Days. Mm-mm. Yeah, well, basically, the Roswell aliens crash and. They can use the they they create this technology out of the Roswell aliens to send someone back in time seven days. Okay. And like, it's a and it's an NSA project, and they like re like change events. Like the pilot episode is the president is assassinated, so then they go back in time seven days to stop it. Interesting. It aired in the late nineties. Yeah, I enjoyed the heck out of it. But basically, that was the premise of the show. They took technology from the Roswell crash. Interesting. And used it to send someone back in time. We have the ability to send one human being back in time. Seven days. I just looked it, it up. It got canceled. got canceled way too soon. said there were three seasons. There were 66 total episodes. Yeah, it got canceled way too early. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't remember hearing that. Um, yeah, Jonathan Jonathan Lapalia 
What's the main character? Frank Parker. Oh, and, and of course, um, apart from like some of these shows, we also have, um, you know, the the more recent Indiana Jones film, which people are split on that, and that's fine. But like, you know, the Crystal Skull aliens were like the Roswell aliens, also. So, yeah, mm-hmm. like we just constantly have like this reinvention over and over and over and over again of of the Roswell aliens and um, and the little green men. Of course, like X Files, like they talk about that stuff umpteen gazillion and a half times so um coming fall 2024 the x-files podcast just saying yeah and like on paper on paper i can't i don't know who wrote little green men i'm gonna look it up right now but can you imagine like whoever wrote this is going in there hey hey ira 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 boss boss man i got an idea the ferengi are the Roswell aliens. <laughs> and Ira's like, kind of like it. Because <laughs> he's willing to like take a chance on that stuff like that. It says the story was by uh, Tony Marbury. Oh, okay. Okay, well, Ira Stephen Bear wrote the teleplay. Yep. <laughs> okay. And Robert Hewitt Wolf. Yeah, and then the story yeah. was by uh, Tony Marbury and Jack Trevino. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but this is an episode on paper. It's like, okay, listen. Quark, Rom, and Nog. Hear me out. They're the Roswell aliens. That's right. And they're trying to sell... St- Quark wants to sell stuff <laughs> to the U.S. military in the 1940s. That's that's what he wants to change because those humans in the past are stupid. That's right. Like, on paper, it just doesn't work, right? That's right. <laughs> it's just like... It it works. Uh, the episode works when it's all put together. Yeah, I think uh, so. This so I don't think we, we put this out there, but um, Carbon Creek was season two, episode two of uh, Enterprise, and this is season four, episode eight of Deep Space Nine uh, with with Little Green. Yeah, Man. seven or eight, depending on if you consider the way the Warrior one or two episodes. Sure. So, I think one of my my favorite parts. So like when they when they're caught and they're kind of kept in like isolation there's like random room with basically like a two-way mirror or can't uh two-way mirror one-way one-way mirror. mirror yeah um they they like start like knocking their heads like this is like one of my favorite parts of like the, the episode like they have like <laughs> their their universal translator that is i guess um, implanted. In, it's like implanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's implanted into their head or something like that. Um, and they just like keep knocking it. Cause like, it's like not working. Like they can understand each other, but like they don't realize that they are like speaking Ferengi to everyone else. And like, they're trying to like, like communicate and it's just not working. And it's like freaking hilarious. It's like, it's just like almost who's on first, like level of humor at that point. Yeah, and the humans are like, maybe it's a greeting. <laughs> They're like mimicking them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, if you notice, like, that one, like, seems to be caring for the, the younger one. Maybe that's the mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, like, <laughs> they finally get him to work, and there's a scene where, like, Nog is like, ah. Oh, my ear is hurting to the nurse. Can you come over and just, like, rub on my ear a little bit? <laughs> oh, 
I mean, that might trigger some people these days, but it's it's all in good fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they finally get the Universal Translators working, like, Quark is like, I'm Quark, chief, um, chief financial officer of the Ferengi Alliance, and do I have a business proposition for you? <laughs> Ah, we've been studying your planet for years. Baseball, root beer. <laughs> like those, are th- those are the things that he knows to prove that they've been studying humans. Right. Hey, if you don't want this, I'll go. I'd, I, I'll go sell it to the Russians. But I'd rather work with you, Australians, <laughs> Americans, whatever. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah. What do you people have around here for currency? Gemstones? Rubies? We use dollars. Don't you have any gold? We got gold. Fort Knox. <laughs> oh man. There there's just there, like such such a good good episode. Such a good good stuff. Um and then of course like eventually like being able to get back to Deep Space Nine after everything's all said and done, like with this being um like a malfunction in, in um, this ship that he's acquired, right? Um, From Cousin Gala. Yeah. And, um, you know, just like, like, I don't like I don't know, like maybe I'm just like easily impressed or something like that, but I just, I, I always like get impressed whenever we're able to use like period-specific like costumes, right? Like period-specific like Air Force uniforms, I just think is, is so stinking cool. Uh, army uniforms, whatever, like mil- just military uniforms in general. Um, I, just, I just get a kick out of like whether it's on this or it was on like you know Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or you know pick something. Um, I just I just get a kick at it. So like, that that was like one thing that I, I really enjoyed about about this particular episode um, and this alternate take on on first contact with humans with alien species in general. Yeah, what what I really liked is. You know, of course, you've got the the military officers who are like almost stereotypical in a sense. Oh of yeah. Like these are these these are a threat, and they're here. They're an invasion force, and we've got to like learn everything we can to stop their invasion force. Like you know, just the stereotypical like xenophobic or you know paranoid conspiracy theorist, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But then you've got like the doctor and the nurse who are like so sympathetic to the cause like you know maybe we can learn from them maybe we can and she quotes like maybe we can explore new worlds and new civilizations like they throw that line in there that's right and and then and then the guy's like maybe we might take our honeymoon on mars you know who knows because <laughs> of course they're always martians right Always, always, it's always time. Martians. Always Martians, yeah. So, with with these two different um, particular episodes, right? Like focusing on like an alternate type of first contact. I, I realize they're from different they're from different series. They're from different times, right? Like one's going to be like mid 90s and one's going to be early 2000s but what is it about these episodes that you think like they just work 
like not just with with Star Trek, but like they work from like a um, quote unquote first contact uh, type of perspective. Well, I think that Little Green Men works because it's genuinely funny. Like the idea of like we're businessmen, we just want to sell you things. Yeah. Like, like oh yeah, that's the that's what first contact is going to be about, right? It's not going to be about an exchange of information, but we're businessmen, we just want to sell you things. <laughs> like that's legitimately funny. Uh huh. And Deep Space Nine as a show was like a pretty serious show, Very and much. it handled some really heavy ideas. But then you had these, like, almost, like, ridiculous Ferengi right in the middle of it. And I say ridiculous in a loving way. I don't say ridiculous in the sense that the Ferengi in season one of The Next Generation were ridiculous. I mean ridiculous in, like, such a, like, a way that I love them because of their ridiculousness. And Quark is such a great character. Right? I mean, really, Quark is a great character. I can't imagine what D Space Nine would have been without Quark. And then, yeah. like, the growth that Nog goes through over oh the gosh. course of the show is just a remarkable storyline. Um, and, you know, he's just starting his journey here. But, like, then Rom, who was, like, the idiot, is like, Rom, when did you get to be so smart? Uh, I, I've always been smart. I just lack confidence. <laughs> this is like the start of like Rom becoming the engineer, right? Yeah. But it's just it's it's legitimately funny this episode. And and it's one of these episodes that you can't do in a thir- 10 episode season or a 13 episode season. Yeah. You can only do it in a 26 episode season, which is, you know, one of the things some of these great gems that just would not exist in today's um, era of television. Right. And I, I just love that. And who doesn't love a good Roswell telling? Like, who? nobody knows what happened. It's just, I mean, somebody might know what happened. But, like, it's just fun to speculate. Plausible and it deniability, just, my friend. Yeah, what do you mean? It was just a weather balloon. That's right. <laughs> it's always a weather balloon. Always. Right, and and so for for me, Little Green Men works just because it is legitimately funny. Yeah, I like this. Um, I like part of the reason I like Little Green Men so much is, like you said, like it, it really it, it's funny. It's 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 just it's fun stuff. It's lighthearted in an otherwise very um, kind of dark and serious type of of Star Trek show. Um, I think this is one of the episodes that really got me really appreciating uh, the Ferengi as a whole, but especially um, like our our main like our main Ferengi trio, right? Like with Quark and Rom and Nog, um, and just knowing kind of like in hindsight, you know, we have to look back on, on hindsight because like my first time watching it, like I didn't know where they were going, but like just like knowing you know, how much Quark is about to really develop, you know, in terms of like his maturation, like with how, like even, even later on where he's talking about like the prophets of war, uh, like with a Vulcan for crying out loud, like that's good stuff. Like that's like one of my favorite Quark moments, by the way. 
Um, and then of course, like seeing like the amazing stuff that happens with Rom and becoming like um, an engineer on Deep Space Nine, and of course Nog becoming a cadet and later an officer, um, and just like all that stuff. Like this, this is like one of those like Genesis kind of moments for me. Um, and it's just it's just funny. And like just thinking about like this could have been like an alternate first contact. You know, I mean, it was, but it was hidden, right? Like it was covered up. Um, it's, it's just fantastic, which just adds to like that whole, you know, mythos that legendary status of the Roswell crash, the Roswell incident, for the most part. Yeah. And and I guess I would say for Carbon Creek, it does have the feel of like an old Twilight Zone episode. Like I'm not like I I am a big fan of the Twilight Zone and. You know, there's all kinds of stories about alien visitors who blend in and they go to these small towns and, like, what are they going to do? Um, but it's, it's in a sense, it's almost like this episode is almost like a campfire tale, right? I know they're sitting around, like, the dinner table, but, right. like, tell us a story sitting around the campfire. Like, who knows, right? I mean, I remember so many great campfire you know, stories, people just telling stories around campfires and, and, and the way that she tells it and she's like, you know, Vulcans don't lie, do they? Right. Vulcans are honest to a fault. (laughs) And, but then she's like, you asked me to tell you a story and I did. (laughs) And then she's like, so like coy about like, yeah, but was it real? I don't know. Was it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she like leaves them with doubt and it's just it's a great to Paul moment because you know she, you know Vulcans were so serious and, right. and the Vulcans as they were portrayed in Enterprise were so different from how we saw Vulcans portrayed in earlier shows so I think that made it all the more interesting right like you're holding back information we can't trust you type of thing like mm-hmm. part of me wonders you know like did did uh, Archer or Tucker ever like send some kind of like information request or like you know check in like at a starbase or something you know at some point to to validate any of this information that that Paul um, had had mentioned in this episode? Yeah, that'd be kind. Of, I mean, that'd I be kind of funny. I, if they went and they asked the Vulcan science people, like, yeah, that, that you, we, we're not going to tell you that. We're not going to give you that information. No. Not to humans. Right. Nope. 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 We're not going to do that. So. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. What? So let me ask you this. Which one of these two, right? I mean, they're both like, in terms of like timeline, they're both pretty close to each other, right? Like one's in the 40s and one's in the 50s. They're mm-hmm. roughly like 10 to 15 years apart from each other. Let's leave Zephram out of this, okay? Which one would you have rather had as a first contact? Oh, which one would I have rather had? Well, I feel like uh, the the Little Green Men had, like, Quark stayed in a sense, like he wanted to. You know, that could have really messed up humanity, right? Yeah. Um, but the the Carbon Creek it's such it's so innocuous, right? It's not like 
harmful in any way. Hey, three aliens wander along a small town and they hang out there for a couple of months and, you know, ingratiate themselves with the people while, like, keeping their true identity secret. Um, I think that's probably the one, because I do appreciate the idea of, like, hey, people are saying, well, if there are aliens out there, how come they haven't visited us yet? Well, maybe they have a rule about, like, don't interfere. And so, you know, that one kind of fits with, you know, what I would like to happen, like letting humans kind of develop and evolve on our own in a sense. So I would say I think Carbon Creek is the one that I would, I would say I would want more to be the real one. Okay. Apart from, from Zeph from Cochran and his Phoenix flight. Right. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's... I don't know, I, I want both, right? Like, I want both. I want my cake and I want to eat it too, you know? Um, <laughs> like, there's just something appealing about, like, being able to have that sigh of relief, like, okay, yeah. Roswell mission, the Roswell crash, the Roswell whatever, was real. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Like... There's just something like satisfying about that, but at the same time, like I don't know if we could like really trust ourselves, you know, especially with us being in like that nuclear post World War II, early Cold War time frame type of thing, you know, um, like how well we would handle things. So we would probably like turn inward kind of like we're um, maybe like go a little over the top kind of like we're seeing or, or, or like it's alluding to in Star Trek Picard currently but I mean yeah you're probably right Eric I should probably listen to you on this one like you're probably right like the, the Carbon Creek thing is probably the one that probably makes the most sense that would probably be the best scenario for like everyone just Come come down, watch some I Love Lucy, eat some TV dinner, and shoot some pool, and just go on with your merry life. That's right. It's kind of boring, but it makes sense. It's fine. It's fine. All right. Well, um, any any final thoughts about like either of these episodes, these alternate takes on First Contact? Uh, I mean. They, in a sense, I think both episodes kind of leave us do feeling hopeful, like Star Trek is trying to, because, you know, in Carbon Creek, the Mistral is like, you know, these people have great empathy and great compassion, and they have a lot to offer, and, you know, I want to learn and explore about that. And then in Little Green Men, you've got, you know, the nurse who's like, you know, one day I hope humanity takes its place in a great confederation. I think she even says confederation mm-hmm. or something or alliance. I forget what she's, I hope one day humanity takes its place in a great confederation or alliance in the stars. And, you know, so even after what she's seen there in this, in these, she's still very hopeful. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's the thing that like really marks good good Trek, regardless of like when you watch it, is like whether it's a movie, it's a TV show, whether it's um, 
the current time frame that we're we're seeing new content or it's you know the previous decades like can we get some kind of hope like despite like the craptasticness that's going on can we have some hope that we can cling to for a better tomorrow um, instead of just you know glass half empty you know things mix suck you know supersized or whatever you know with a side of suck you know we don't we don't need that <laughs> so anyway well if if that's it I mean that's that's some some fun discussion um, I'd like to kind of keep this going a little bit a little bit more with some first contact discussion and um, and that is going to the almighty the most important part of this episode the Twitter poll Yay. all right Eric so as you know I, okay. I poll people on Twitter right and hey, uh, I've been doing pretty good on these lately let's see how you do on this curveball my friend um, oh, so, man. so here we go so the the most recent inquiry was this all things being equal who would you rather have as the human representative at first contact instead of Zephram Cochran and the the options oh, were Jimmy Buffett Jack Nicholson Tom Selleck Clint Eastwood what in the world are these choices <laughs> Jimmy Buffett Jack Nicholson Tom Selleck and Clint Eastwood that's right which one holy shnikes <laughs> <laughs> I'll read that one more time all things being equal who would you rather have as the human representative at first contact instead of Zephram Cochran Jimmy Buffett Jack Nicholson Tom Selleck Clint Eastwood How do you even answer that question? Like, do I don't want. I'm gonna throw out Jimmy Buffett out. I don't want Jimmy Buffett there because, okay. um, man, those parrot heads. <laughs> no offense to any parrot heads out there. Um, is Clint Eastwood the get off my lawn type, or is that just now crotchety old man that he's been playing in his movies? <laughs> Aliens, get off my lawn. <laughs> I mean, Tom Selleck seems like the most normal person out of that group, right? So because he's normal, I'll go with Tom Selleck. Go with Tom Selleck, all right, all right. That would be my choice because he seems like the most normal out of that group. <laughs> love it, love it. All right. Let's go to the results on this then. So coming in in last place with 9.1% of the vote, my friend. Jack Nicholson. Okay. All right. Coming in in third place with 18.2% of the vote. Jimmy Buffett. Okay. Okay, it's coming down to Tom Selleck and Clint Eastwood, my man. Right. All right. Second place. Runner-up. 27.3% of the vote. Clint Eastwood, which means you oh, won it again. Man. 45.5% of the vote went to Tom Selleck. Did you get any comments about why? No, 
No, but no, okay, um, that's fine. I will say this: that um, um, my wife, she'll participate in these from time to time, and she got on and um, she did, did a quote tweet actually, and um, her quote tweet was definitely Tom Selleck. So. <laughs> okay, definitely. Yep. So there you go. There we go. Okay, man, I'm three in a row. Buddy, I think you're like looking at the website and you're cheating. I I guarantee you I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I guarantee you I'm not. Oh, Lordy. So there we go. Yeah, Tom Selleck takes it. Mr. uh, Frank Reagan himself from Blue Bloods. Congratulations. Mr. Quigley. Mr. Quigley. Quigley down under, man. Magnum P.I. All them. Well done, Tom Selleck. Well done. By, by the way, Tom, Mr. Selleck, if I can call you Mr. Selleck, if you ever want to be on the show, we'd love to have you. Just saying. Oh, oh sure, yeah. So, so this consider this a personal invite um, to to the podcast. Um, so, if anyone knows knows a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy, let me know. Um, that would be fantastic. But, uh, anyways, that's the show. That's the show. Everyone, um, hap- again, happy first contact day. Happy First Contact Day. Um, hope you all enjoy it. Um, celebrate however you do. Um, celebrate by watching the movie, by you know cosplaying, by I don't know, just doing whatever you do to celebrate. Uh, I'm going to, um, or by the time you hear this, I will have already watched it for the three thousandth time. And um, I don't know what Eric's going to do, but happy celebrating, basically everyone. Happy celebrating. Happy celebrating. Happy, happy, happy First Contact Day. Here we go, 41 years from now, as we already said. Um, anyway, Eric, um, as always, thank you for the lovely conversation. It's always a joy to, to talk Trek with you, whatever it is. Any excuse to talk Trek is great. Um, and um, anyway, anyways, uh, guys and gals out there in listener land, what did y'all think? Um, you know, would you prefer to have one or the other for the actual First Contact, apart from you know, what we know happened with the Phoenix and everything? Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your opinions about not only the show, but just, you know, what First Contact Day, what just the, the future of First Contact means to you. Um, let us know. We're available on all the things on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at TRTVPod. You can also learn more. Get in contact with us. Learn more at TRTVPod.com. Uh, if you do want to mail us something, or not, not mail us something, I'm getting ahead of myself, y'all. If you do want to email us something, you can do that. Enter in accordance to TRTVPod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute limit before we get to the patent office and sell Velcro. Um, so please stop us before we make a bad decision and script the timeline. Um, other than that, if you uh, want to mail us something, you know, like gems or platinum or anything like that, we'd love to get that. Um, make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station P.O. Box 2455 Azel, Texas 76098. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, remember to boldly go and make it so. Bye.